Kids up through fifth grade are dismissed to head to your classrooms. Uh, if you're new with us, this is how we uh, do it around here. The kids, uh, kindergarten through fifth grade, join us for worship and then uh, head off uh, to uh, their own classrooms after that. If you want to walk them down, you're welcome to do that uh, or they'll be fine just uh, finding their way with all the teachers that are out there. So um, but that's how it goes around here at Rock Prairie. And then the rest of us are going to continue in worship right here in this room. You don't have to go anywhere. Um, uh, but I would ask for you to, if you have a Bible with you, uh, turn or tap with me to the book of Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14, that's actually going to be uh, our uh, place where we're starting. Uh, we're really going to be kind of going both backwards and forwards, so Luke 14 is kind of right smack in the middle of where we're going to be this morning. So you will want it, so you can kind of see as we refer to Luke 13, and then uh, uh, following uh, the passage following this, you'll want to have it in front of you. Um, so uh, please be turning there with me. And I will uh, read this uh, passage. We are continuing our study in the parables. And um, so this is the parable of the great banquet. And I will read it for us and then I will pray. Luke chapter 14, verses 15 to 24. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, meaning Jesus, said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done. And there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, um, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these parables uh, that are so rich in meaning, God. And I just always feel the inadequacy that we can barely even scratch the surface of it in our time together, Lord. So I just pray uh, that you would just give us uh, a, a hunger for you and for your word and for us to grow in our knowledge of you and our love for you. Lord, as where we've been thinking of things wrongly, help us to see that. Where we've been in sin and blind to it, help us to realize that. Where we have been uh, not comprehending the fullness of your goodness and grace, uh, may we uh, have eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. Bless the, uh, our time in your word, and uh, we just ask that your spirit would make all these things clear in our hearts. Without your spirit uh, moving and working in this place, this is, um, this is all worthless, Lord. So we just ask... God, that you would do a mighty work among us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, 
Well, for the last couple weeks now, we have studied uh, two of the most popular and famous parables in the Bible, right? We study the parable of the prodigal son and the good Samaritan, and we even talked about how both of these parables have become so just ubiquitous in culture that they've kind of even like changed language, right? Like we talk about if somebody's a prodigal, it means there's somebody who's wandered away, or if you are stuck on the side of the road and someone pulls over and asks if you need help, you say, wow, thanks for being a good Samaritan, right? These are things that are common, and everybody uh, uh, pretty much has heard these things before, and so our challenge for the last two weeks was to take a parable that was very familiar to us and kind of re-examine it to see if there's maybe more that the Lord wanted us to see in it uh, than we might have first realized. But our challenge this morning is different than the last two weeks. Uh, this is a less popular parable. If um, Probably if you uh, asked you to tell me that what's the parable of the great banquet, uh, probably most of us wouldn't have really known what it was before we, uh, I read it this morning. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, but it's certainly not the same level of popularity as the last two that we studied. And uh, not only is, do, we, do we not really have preconceived notions about what it's about, but as I just read it, um, we maybe don't really have any idea what it was about, do, do we? There was a little bit, of, it's not like, oh yeah, I know exactly what the point of this story is. It's a little bit confusing to understand. We have this guy who's throwing a party, and uh, why is he doing that? And then he invites a bunch of people, and they say, no, I got stuff going on. And so then he invites a bunch of poor and sick people, and they all come, but there's still more room. So then there's more people invited, and, and then the parable closes with Jesus saying, none of those original people are going to get to come to my party. And uh, what is he talking about? What's, is this a story about how you should react as a host if uh, you throw a party and nobody shows up? Um, maybe a little bit. Uh, but not the primary meaning. Uh, it's, it's, there's a lot going on uh, in this story. It's a little bit about how we relate to the poor and marginalized in society. It's a little bit about hell. It's a little bit about missions. It's a little bit about making excuses for not following Jesus. It's a little bit about taking communion. And uh, it's also about uh, hating our families. Uh, so there's a lot in there. And... Um, we said last week, remember, this is something that's been so helpful to me uh, when I think about the parables, and I hope it's helpful to you too, that when Jesus is giving a parable, he's not just illustrating a single point. And this was category shifting for me because I always thought that's what Jesus was doing, which is why I was always a little bit confused when I was reading the parables. And I haven't really done a deep dive study into the parables before like I uh, have in, over the last several weeks uh, preparing for this series. But he's not just making one point that he's illustrating. We read the quote uh, from a book last week that said, uh, what Jesus is doing, he's kind of building a house. And he's inviting us to come into that house and explore all the different rooms and see this is what life is like in the kingdom of God. And so um, this morning, my job is to kind of be your realtor and we have a house showing, right? The problem is you guys only give me like 35 to 40 minutes to do these showings and uh, there's way more, there's a, there's a big house. And so my prayer again and my hope really is that you will uh, take what we've learned this morning but then continue to study this parable this week and kind of see the different layers of meaning unfold before you because there's so much in here and we really only have time to scratch 
the surface. So, but that's what we're going to do this morning. We're just going to do a quick house tour, and then hopefully you guys are intrigued and want to come back uh, for another show. I'm, I, always, I always just bring the metaphor just a little bit too far. I'm sorry about that. You know what I mean. All right. So what is going on here? Uh, in, the, in this story. The context of this story is that Jesus is at a dinner party, and uh, this is a dinner party that the big-time Pharisee is throwing for a bunch of important people, and Jesus has been invited. We've talked about this several weeks ago in another story of Jesus's life, but uh, what people would do was uh, they would have, um, when, when there was an important traveling rabbi coming through town, then the, the important religious leaders would invite him over and they'd kind of have this time just learning from him but also kind of testing him and making sure that his theology was on track. And these would be big events. They'd be uh, kind of social events. You remember um, the story we talked about where the woman came into the party and she was weeping and crying over Jesus' feet and uh, she was a sinner, right? We talked about uh, her. And, uh, but uh, the, what would have been common was just these parties were going on and people were coming in and out and just kind of s- standing back and just watching what was going on. But th- the point was, like, the most important people are on display. Like, these are, this is a VIP party and, uh, and Jesus is there. And Jesus, if you read, you should read the whole chapter this week, he is determined to make this party as awkward as possible for everyone involved. And then there's even, we're going to see it in this passage, there's even a point where uh, one of the guests is like trying to like just cut the tension a little bit and like bring everyone together and Jesus was like, nope, and he just doubles down on the awkwardness and it's great. And uh, that's what I um, love about Jesus. Although his, when he makes things awkward, it's intentional. When I make things awkward, it's very much unintentional. So it's not really the same thing. But all that to say, Jesus is at this dinner party. And so the first thing that happens is some, he's approached at a party. Does that sound familiar? Just like the story that we talked about before. Although last time it was a woman from the, from the city who was a sinner. This time it's a guy with a... With a medical issue where he's all swollen and there's a technical term that I read of that that I don't remember. What is the term, Jerry? It's uh, it said dropsy is what my Bible said and then uh, I didn't know what that meant and I looked it up and there's a term for it. Anyway, he's all, he's all swollen. He's got just fluid everywhere. And endema. For you who have ears to hear, let you hear. That's what he had. And, uh, and uh, it's the Sabbath. And you don't do any healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus is basically like, hey, um, should I heal this guy on the Sabbath? And then he heals him. And the Pharisees are just like right, just a direct challenge to them. And then uh, he says, how many of you, if you had some uh, a son drop into a well, I think is what he says, and you would do the same. Uh, and, uh, and, but he's challenging them right off the way. You want, me to, you want me to heal this guy on the Sabbath? Okay, here we go. And then... It just gets, it just gets um, better, and it just gets more awkward, because what would happen, like I said, they're at this party, and there were, there were VIPs that were sitting in, like, the most important spots, and Jesus goes right up to these VIPs sitting in the most important spots, and he's like, you guys shouldn't be sitting here, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, I'm sure their eyes got big, and what's, what's he say? He's, like, making this argument. He's kind of making a good point. It's like, it's kind of embarrassing, like, what if a more important person than you comes, and then the host is going to have to ask you to go just the normal person section? Like, that's not a good strategy. You don't just 
go to the good seat yourself. You should go. It's better if you're sitting in a, a bad seat and then the host invites you to the good seat. And he's just like, like don't sit here in the important seat. See you guys. And then, um, and then he turns to the host of the party and says, it's just like it's getting more and more uh, uncomfortable. And he turns to the host of the party and he's like, by the way, you shouldn't have even invited these people to the party. Don't invite your friends when you have a party. Don't invite your rich friends. Invite poor people and homeless people and sick people. Like, that's who you should really be having at this party. And, um, okay. <laughs> I, mean, what, I mean, think about if you're there at this party and Jesus, it, it, there's no tact there, right? Um, not at all. And so you would probably feel a little bit uncomfortable. And so somebody steps up and he does exactly what I would do in this situation. I found I never really noticed this before this week, but this this guy is the person that I think I resonate the most with in the whole Bible who comes and he tries to like mediate things. I don't know about you. I just am like I just don't like I don't like tension very much. I'm like, uh, let's just, like somebody's like red, 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 and somebody's like blue, blue, blue. And I'm like, guys, purple. Like we're all, we're all happy, right? Like come on. Um, I don't like the tension, and, uh, and I just want to make everyone happy. And that's exactly what this guy does in verse 15. So Jesus tells the host, you shouldn't have invited these people. You should have invited uh, poor people to come. And then the guy, he's just trying to like, Make everyone happy, it seems like. He says, blessed is everyone who will eat in the kingdom of God. Hey, Jesus, uh, let's think about something happy. Everyone who eats in the banquet of the kingdom is, is blessed, so it doesn't matter if they're rich or poor at all. It's, the real invitation that matters is the invitation to the Lord's banquet. He's like, don't argue about who should be at this silly party. Like, let's just all think about something we agree on, which is that we're all going to be blessed when we're all invited to the Lord's uh, banquet. And Jesus is like, nope, actually, <laughs> you're not going to be invited to the Lord's banquet. <laughs> like, you see, he's like, he's just trying to say the most innocuous thing possible of like, we're all going to be happy when we're all together in heaven. And Jesus is like, nope, <laughs> you're not. And that's, um, that's wonderful. Um, I love that. And so that is the context in which Jesus is telling this story. He tells a story about a man who's throwing a party. And he invited a bunch of people. And then the time comes for the party to start. And they all, uh, every single one of them to a man, had an excuse and begged off and said, I can't do it. And we don't feel the force of this because we live in a different culture, right? We have three options on a Facebook invitation, yes, no, and maybe, right? And even if you click yes, if you don't show up, it's, it's not that big of a deal. We don't really feel the, the force of it. In fact, there's some introverts in here who are like, oh man, if I'm invited to a big party and then I have an excuse not to go, like, there's no better feeling in the world than that, right? It's like, uh, oh man, some of you are exactly, yep. <laughs> some of you are like, yep, that's me uh, to a T. Um, so here's, here's a good way to think about just how offensive this was, um, that they were all turning down the invitation. So it's like, uh, 
when we have dinner parties here, oftentimes what happens is you invite pe- you want the food to be hot like when it's time to sit down. So it's not like the food hasn't all been prepared and ready like an hour before. You're kind of finishing up the preparations for dinner as your guests are coming, right? You invite people, hey, come over at 6, we'll eat at 6.30, right? Am I on a good roll here? So, um, so you say the people come. And uh, so you hang out in the living room, and then you wait for the host to say, uh, all right, come on in to the dining room, like, food's ready. And so imagine if you had all the people in the living room to eat dinner, and then when the host comes out and says, the food's ready, that is when every single person says, actually, I got something else going on. Uh, I really got to go. I'm really sorry. Uh, You'll have to excuse me. And all of a sudden, the host is left with a whole table full of food and no guests, that would hurt your feelings a little bit, right? You might, they might leave and you might go and have a little cry in your bedroom if that happened. Like that's, that is offensive. It's not just like they said no to the invitation. It was they were there ready for the dinner and then right when they were invited uh, was when um, they uh, all left. And um, that is offensive. And so here's what Jesus is saying uh, in this parable for the Pharisees, after the guy says, it's okay because we're, it doesn't matter, rich or poor, we're all going to be in the, in, in, in the kingdom together. We're all going to eat at the feast together. What Jesus is saying is actually, no, that's not true because you Pharisees are the ones who are uh, ditching the invitation. You were invited. You actually were the first ones invited I wanted you to come. And we can now understand a little bit more of what's happening uh, a few verses earlier in chapter 13. Look there with me. This is a really important passage to understanding this parable, uh, starting in verse 34. So Luke 13, starting in verse 34. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. So that happens right before this parable is told. And then we have all these people who uh, ditch the banquet. And Jesus says, I wanted you in the fold. I invited you. I would have gathered you to protect you like a hen protecting her uh, little chicks under her wings, and uh, you weren't willing to do that. And so here's like the, the, the kind of most basic way to understand this parable is Jesus talking to the Pharisees, saying, I wanted you to come to the banquet, I wanted you here. You guys should have been first in line to come to the banquet because you know the law better than anyone else. You know the scriptures better than anyone else. You know the prophecies better than anyone else. And here I am, and I long to have you, and you're just wandering around like little chicks with other things going on in your lives. And so here's what I'm going to do. He says, I'm going to invite the outcasts. I'm going to invite the poor and lame and marginalized. And you're going to have to watch now while the outcasts of Israel and the nations, the people along the hedges and the highways are invited into the kingdom. 
To the Pharisees, Jesus says, you say that blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, and you assume that it's you, but it's not you. You are not the ones who will enter the kingdom of God, and it's not because I rejected you. I wanted you, but you have rejected me. You were not willing, and now none of you is going to participate in my banquet. This is the ultimate punctuation of the most awkward dinner party I can ever imagine. (laughs) He also calls it my banquet, doesn't he? Imagine how the Pharisees felt about that. You see, from the beginning of the passage to the end of the passage, blessed is everyone who's going to be part of the banquet and eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus says, my banquet. (laughs) And he's right about that. But they didn't realize that that was what was going on. On. And so, like, as we enter into the house of this parable, this is the, the first room, so to speak, is like this is what the parable was about. Jesus speaking to these Pharisees who assumed they were a part of the kingdom of God, and Jesus is saying, actually, uh, no, uh, you're going to miss the banquet. Uh, and so the question is for us is, What do we do with this parable? None of you are first century Pharisees. Uh, None of you were at that party. And uh, so what does this parable mean for us? With the context set up, now is when we need to start kind of wandering around the house a little bit and see what this parable means for, for us. And part of our application of this parable hinges on a very important question that uh, people disagree about, of course. This happens a lot. Uh, Here's the question for you. I want you to think about this. As we read the parable and we read the different excuses that people had for not going to the feast, were those legitimate excuses or were they illegitimate excuses? Okay, so uh, just to uh, refresh your memory, we had a guy who bought land who wanted to go check it out. We had a guy who bought a bunch of oxen and wanted to go check them out. And we have a guy who it seems like Jesus is insinuating is on his honeymoon at that very moment. Um, and he's got other things on his mind is what Jesus is, is saying there. Um, and uh, so the question is, um, are these good excuses to miss the party or bad excuses? Uh, and uh, I read a lot of commentaries and articles and they were split Right down the middle, it seemed like this week, some people said, no, these were, these were real things that kept them from the banquet. And other people say, no, these were just totally fabricated, made up stuff. It wasn't important. So, I don't know, let's vote. Who thinks these were good excuses? Raise your hand. Wow, okay, couple. Who thinks, or maybe just the shy ones, who thinks these were not good excuses? Oh, that's, okay, so more think not good excuses. Who thinks not great excuses, but I'll give a little more lenience to the guy who just got married, right? Okay, that's pretty good. Um, who thinks I didn't answer my, raise my hand because I'm just always afraid Pastor Mike's tricking me. Yeah, that's, yep, (laughs) a couple of you there as well. Uh, okay, so let's, let's think about this. The first one has to do with property, right? And the second one has to do with livelihood, and the third one has to do with family. And these are three of the most important things in life, right? It seems like that might be what Jesus is saying, that uh, property, livelihood, and family, three things that are a really big deal. Um, And uh, it makes sense if somebody just bought a bunch of land. I mean, uh, farmers, you just bought a bunch of land, you'd want to go and check it out, right? That would be an important thing for you to do. Um, And... uh, 
you're on your honeymoon. I mean, come on. You gotta, that's why was, many of you gave it more of an excuse for the guy on his honeymoon. Um, so on one hand, there's a good argument to be made. These are legitimate excuses. However, when we dig a little bit deeper, we see actually these things probably don't really hold up to scrutiny uh, very well. So I actually think everyone's right. Hey, look at me being a mediator again. We're all right. We're all happy. Uh, there's a sense in which we are all correct, though, because a person back then would have never bought a field without looking at it first. That would make no sense. That would be like saying, I just bought a house and I need to go see if it's furnished or not. Like, I, I don't know, just like making a major financial decision about your property while having absolutely zero understanding of what it, you were doing. And then the second one is like that as well, saying uh, you would never buy a bunch of oxen without testing them first. Again, that would be like saying, um, I just bought a used car and I need to go see if it runs. Like, you should know before you buy the car if it runs, right? Some of you are elbowing your husbands right now, like, I told you, but uh, anyways. Um, and then the third one, he's on uh, his honeymoon, but he accepted the invitation to the banquet, and then he got married, and it, there, you don't just uh, get married and, and decide in a day most of the time. And so, again, the, these things that appear to be, yes, the most important things in life, and yet, when we look a little bit deeper, um, it, it doesn't really hold up. And so it makes sense why the host is angry, because not only have his guests all ditched him, but they've made these excuses that look like they're really good excuses on the surface, but deep down they're uh, paper thin. And, um, and not only that, but uh, this isn't just any party. <laughs> This is the great banquet, and it's a metaphor for entering into the kingdom of God. It's referring to uh, Isaiah chapter 25, which is another uh, thing that we don't have time to get into this morning, but you should write that down, and you should read that this week. Isaiah chapter 25, and talks about that there will one day be a great feast on the mountain of God where all the nations are invited, and death will be no more. And this was a beautiful, beautiful thing, a beautiful idea uh, that was talked about uh, back then, and they would talk about the feast of the kingdom of God. And that's what the Pharisees are referring to, is the banquet that uh, was going to take place uh, in Isaiah chapter 25. And this is the kingdom of, this is entering into the kingdom of God. And so this should absolutely make us ask the question, what is causing me to miss out on the kingdom of God? Right? Or in other words, how can I be sure that I won't be like one of those people who didn't accept the invitation? And Jesus answered this question. So as we read this parable, we, should th we always want to be looking for who do we want to be like and who do we don't want to be like, right? Clearly, we don't want to be like the people who were so caught up in their lives that they missed the invitation to the greatest banquet of eternity, right? We don't want to do that. So how do we make sure that we don't miss it? Jesus answers this question right after this parable. Look at verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, listen to this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. 
Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So how can you make sure that you will make it to the great banquet? Here's the answer. Hate your family and die. How's that for a church slogan, huh? Rock Prairie, (laughs) where we want you to hate your family and die. That's our hope for you. Um, People just come flooding in, right? We put that right above the doors as you walk in, hate your family and die. Um, That's what Jesus said. We often have this picture in our minds of Jesus, like walking around just trying to convince everyone to follow him. And uh, that's a nice picture, but... You don't see it very often in the Gospels. Jesus has a massive crowd around him. And uh, more often than not, it seems like Jesus is walking around trying to get people to stop following him, doesn't it? I mean, he's, it's bad enough he made that dinner party so miserable for everyone. And now he's got these huge crowds following him, hanging on his every word. And it seems like he really should just tell them, just pray a prayer and confess your sins and believe in me and you're good to go. That is, you agree, a better evangelism strategy than hate your family and die. Agreed? He says, you want to follow me? Great. Step one, hate your dad, and then your mom, and then your wife, and your kids, and your brothers, and sisters, and uh, yourself also. Why on earth would he say that? Because it was exactly true. Jesus was 100% right. Think about this. Think about how... uh, a Jewish person would have understood this, right? Growing up in a Jewish family where your whole life revolves around your Jewish faith and now there's this new prophet on the scene and it's a rabbi who's teaching things about God's kingdom that are radically different than anything he'd been taught in his life and this prophet is saying things like, if you want to get to the Father, it's not about the law anymore, it's not through the sacrificial system, it's not even through obedience to the commandments, the only way to the Father is through me, Jesus said. So what would that person have to ask themselves? Do I give up my culture and my heritage? Do I leave behind my family? Do I make my mom cry every day because of the decision that I'm making? Do I insult the closest people to me? Do I remove myself from this community and these relationships and my livelihood just to follow this Jesus guy? Yes. The answer has to be yes. Because the banquet supper of the Lamb is too important to miss. And all those things that seem to mean everything actually mean nothing if you got to give up your invitation to the banquet to get those things. And so here's the question for us. How do we read this as people who don't have that much on the line necessarily for the most part? Most of you don't have to worry about that. Some of you do. Some of you have given up relationships in your family to follow Jesus. That's hard. But you, I know, you can say it's worth it. But most of us 
That's not, our, uh, that's not our experience. Most of you, when you're baptized, your family and friends are right up here, and they're so excited and supportive of you. So how do we make sense of this? Well, I think first we need to remember that there are some people in the world today absolutely making that calculation about following Jesus. Think about a missionary working with Muslims. Right? Sometimes, in extreme cases, in extreme places, if a Muslim is going to convert to Christianity, it also means they need to have an exit plan to flee from their hometown and their family because they would fear for their very lives. Even if it's not that extreme, they're still giving up everything about their old life to follow Jesus. So, again, you have to reckon in your heart to say, is it worth it? Another one I think about, and maybe closer to home, is people in the uh, gay and lesbian community, right? Like, are you really telling me that I need to leave my partner that I've been with for 20 years, that I built a life around, my whole entire life and all my relationships, to follow Jesus? Are are you going to tell someone to do that? If so, it can't be flippantly. Oh, just do what the Bible says. It's easy. It's hard. If anyone would come after me, he must hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and, yes, even his own life. We cannot think that what you're calling people to is something just easy. Oh, just pray a prayer. Make a decision. No, in some cases, you're giving up everything. Is it worth it, church? That's my question. Is it worth it? Is following Jesus worth losing everything else? And I think the answer is yes. Unequivocally. Getting to that supper of the Lamb is worth any sacrifice you could ever make on this earth. But my question for us this morning and for you this morning is, what are you willing to sacrifice to follow Jesus? Are you just willing to tell other people to make sacrifices? (laughs) Or are you willing to give up everything to follow him? This is super convicting. I'm preaching to me church this morning if you learned something great but I'm preaching to my heart uh, this morning how can I expect others to make a massive sacrifice to follow Jesus when I'm not even willing to make a small one what's your attitude about getting to the banquet I'll get around to it once I get this new addition on my house all worked out and my kids' sports seasons are over and once my new car is paid off and we get back from vacation and, uh, and, and then I'll kind of maybe get serious about following Jesus. Is that your attitude? Or is it, I gotta get to that banquet. I'll do whatever it takes. I'm so desperate to follow Jesus. Even the thought of continuing to live life for myself is repulsive to me. I hate the things that I used to love. I can't even fathom the idea of just not following Jesus so I can appease the people around me who think it's a bad idea, even if that's my kids or my spouse or my mom or my dad. I've got to get to that banquet. That is what it means to hate your family and your life to follow Jesus. 
And so I'm not saying, there's not something necessarily in every case wrong with home additions or kids' sports or vacations or whatever. That's not what I'm saying, but what I am saying is I want you to get with the Lord and honestly ask yourself, have I allowed things to get in the way of my relationship with the Lord that seem legit on the outside, but deep down they're pretty flimsy? Jesus longs for you to take refuge in his wings. I want to go back to that analogy. Really, I think the analogy that's being made there is like uh, fire. And uh, you, can, you can picture in a uh, chicken coop, and there's a fire, and there's a mother hen. And uh, what's that mother hen going to do? Spread her wings out and uh, protect her baby chicks. And there's times when you know, people have found a charred mother's body dead and uh, living chicks underneath. And um, that's what Jesus is saying <laughs> to you. I wanted to give my life so desperately so that you can be a part of this banquet, but you wouldn't listen. You were wandering away, distracted with all sorts of other things. You should have known. You should have come, but you wouldn't listen. Oh, how I long to protect you and bring you in. So may he not say of you, but you were not willing You were too busy with your two important things to notice what I was doing for you. And now because of your heart and heart, you won't taste my banquet. Jesus has invited you to participate in the banquet. And then what's so just brilliant about this story is once we understand that, once we're in the kingdom, then we actually find ourselves in a different character place in the story, which is that of the servant, right? And so now I need to be asking myself, because Jesus isn't satisfied only with you just hating your mom and your dad and your sisters and brothers in light of what it means to follow him. He's not even just satisfied with that. He also cares deeply about who you're sharing the gospel with, who you're inviting on your, yourself to um, be a part of the, the banquet, right? And he says, don't even just, yes, the marginalized and, and the poor, yes, but even more, the people far away, right? We think the people of, in all nations and people who have never heard the gospel. And he calls us to go, and he calls us to give up everything in some cases to do that. Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to go? Because the banquet is worth it. And what Jesus did for us is so brilliant because guess what? He also knows about our hearts that we're fickle and we forget all the time. And that's why I'm preaching this to myself primarily is that we need a reminder of that banquet. And he gave us that reminder in the Lord's Supper. He says, do this in remembrance of me when you gather together to remember her that I was that hen who gave up, mother hen who gave up her life to protect her chicks. I was the sacrificial lamb to take away the sin of the world. I died so you could live, and I rose again so that all nations can come and be a part of this banquet. He says, you're going to forget this because you're going to have things going on in your life that are going to distract you. So he says, take my supper and remember Drink of the cup, eat of the bread, and remember and proclaim my death until I return. And that's the beauty of the Lord's Supper, church. And so that's what we're going to do this morning.
Uh, and so just a few moments, uh, what I'm going to invite you to do is uh, come down, and we're going to just dismiss from the back, and, uh, and just so the back row can come, and just come down the middle aisle here and go back out the sides, and um, just going to ask you uh, to take, uh, they're stacked up together, so take, you got the, the um, bread and the cup on top of each other, so grab them both, grab two cups, and uh, I want you to turn to your seat and just pray, and just ask, Lord... <laughs> Is there something that's been distracting me recently? Is there something that I've maybe put way too much stock in that really doesn't matter in light of the kingdom? And ask him to reveal those things, not to make you worthy to take the supper. You're worthy if you've been forgiven by the blood of the lamb. So it's not to make you worthy to take the supper, but it's to make your heart free and clear and uh, so that you can continue uh, to follow him passionately like he calls you to. And so this is a meal for us to take. If you're a believer, if you're, not, if you're with us this morning and you're not a believer, we're so glad that you're here with us. But we would just ask that you would refrain um, from taking it. Uh, it's for believers is what God's word says. And it's to remember and proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus until he comes again. And he hasn't come yet, and which means we're gonna take it this morning. So right now, we're gonna go ahead and dismiss from the back. I'm gonna ask you to take the cup and return to your seats. know if uh, anyone came in this morning um, wondering if you were loved, um, but if so, uh, you're holding the answer in your hand right now. Jesus uh, poured out his life so that you could live, and uh, he's not mad about it either. Sometimes we think, uh, yeah, he died on the cross for my sins, but he's also still upset that he had to. Uh, no. He longed for you to come into the fold under his wings. And that's all he asks, is that you take refuge in him and don't wander around in other places. And so uh, know that you are dearly and deeply loved. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. This bread that we hold in our hands represents the suffering that he endured, his body broken for us. Let's eat in remembrance of him. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This cup and what it contains, symbolic, the salvation and reconciliation that Christ's blood bought for us and guaranteed for you. Do this, he said, in remembrance of me. Let's drink. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for making a way for our reconciliation to you. Not through following the law, not through making endless sacrifices, 
but through the one-time perfect sacrifice of the spotless lamb, your only son, Jesus, that you so loved the world that you gave your son that whoever believes in him would not perish but could take refuge under his wings and be part of the banquet. So Lord, we confess to you this morning, Father, the infinite number of ways that we get distracted, seek other things, things that might even seem important to us at the time. So forgive us, God. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Thank you for your grace and mercy that are new each and every day. We love you. In Jesus' precious and mighty name we pray.